Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller. I hunt for the latest and greatest authors and experts in self-help and ask them the in-depth questions I'm curious about for my own growth. I bring these conversations series to you so we can learn and achieve together. In this episode, I'm back with 10-time record-breaking explorer Colin O'Brady to walk through his personal values, motives, and habits in the key areas of life fulfillment so we can hear what's driven him and what does drive him to set world records, but ultimately to design a life that fulfills him. And you'll hear his hit on something that he says in his new book, The 12-Hour Walk, about so often being asked if he's ever afraid of dying during his epic quest up Mount Everest and across Antarctica. And he says, well, yes, of course, but he's more afraid of not truly living. He wants to experience life fully. And it's not just a pithy answer. And I dig in, we do together on what this looks like. And I'm not interested personally in death defying feats at this point in my life, but I sure do want to get all I can out of it. Colin's feats, however, include the world's first solo, unsupported, and fully human-powered crossing of Antarctica. He's got speed records for the Explorer's Grand Slam and the Seven Summits, and the first human-powered ocean row across Drake Passage. That one was just terrifying to read about. Colin's expeditions have been followed by millions of people. His work's been featured by the New York Times, the Tonight Show, the Today Show, even on Joe Rogan, that guy with a podcast almost as popular as this one. Colin's TEDx talk has nearly 3 million views. He's author of the New York Times bestseller, The Impossible First. And now, of course, his new book that I just mentioned, The 12-Hour Walk, Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life. We'll be talking about that specifically in an upcoming show. You can find him at colinobrady.com. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast, subscribe so you don't miss any and leave a review about this episode. That really means a lot to me and to Colin. And best of all, take something that you hear and talk about it with someone else and benefit them and yourself. You can connect with me at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Colin O'Brady's personal values, motives, and habits. Okay, as we get into your personal values and, and habits, uh, you shared something in our first talk together that I wanted to lead off with. So you're in Antarctica, you got your phone, but you wiped out everything, all the podcasts, all the apps, whatever off it. But you said, I kept just a few albums. I got to know what the albums are, man. That's, that's a big deal. <laughs> you're in Antarctica for how many weeks were you there? A I solo? was there. Yeah. Yeah. Two months. So it was almost eight weeks. Yeah. Solo alone, two not months. talking to anyone. Yeah. This is like uh, Tom Hanks <laughs> on the Island with nothing but Wilson. And here you are. And what was the, uh, tell me the albums, so, man. Yeah. So I, I decided I'm going to delete everything, but I'm going to bring six albums, you know, uh, you're old. Uh, those younger than us probably don't remember this, but you're old enough to remember, you know, an actual album, side A, side B, oh, yeah. full album. So not, not a playlist, an actual album. Um, and I said, it's got to have some like meaningful connection. It's great. A parlor game. You're on a desert island. You're loaded in Antarctica. What are you bringing with you? Totally, you man. This is, this is it. That's why I want to know. Um, so, so I brought uh, Paul Simon's Graceland. Wow. Um, 
I brought uh, Bob Marley's Redem- or Bob Marley's uh, Legend, so Greatest Hits. I was actually born to Redemption song on repeat uh, at my birth, so that's connected to me. <laughs> um, I brought uh, Counting Crows, August and Everything After. I brought Grateful Dead, American Beauty, um, and I brought Sublime, self-titled. And the sixth was an album uh, by a band called Blind Pilot, who's a, kind of a local, pretty pretty well-known um, folk band out of Portland, where I'm from. A friend of mine's in the band, so th- those are my those are my six uh, six albums and a very funny a very short aside story which is i hadn't listened to any of this and on day 18 i finally cracked and said man i gotta hear something so i put paul simon's graceland on full volume full blast um and i had this tiny little sat modem with me but i could post to my i could basically send to my wife a grain a real grainy image with a little bit of text and then she would post that onto social media so it's not like i could be on social media but she could you know put a low res image up there just kind of like proof of life update and i wrote in the caption that day i said this might sound weird, but I was, you know, having a solo dance party out here to Paul Simon's Graceland on the ice. You know, people were writing in the comments like this guy's losing his mind. He's going crazy. You yeah. know, he's dancing around by himself out there. Two weeks later, three weeks later, it's day 35. I check in with my wife via the sat phone, quick, quick, uh, quick sat phone call. And I haven't talked to anyone else, but she says, you know, I know you're really tired, but I mean, you hang up this call. I need you to dial this phone number. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, just trust me. You got to dial this phone number. I'm like, I'm in the middle of Antarctica. I'm like, what do you, she's like, just do it. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I hang up the phone, call this random number. Um, and a guy answers the phone. He's like, uh, hello. And I was like, hi, uh, this is Colin from Antarctica. And he's like, oh, great. I've been expecting your call. This is Paul. No, Paul way. Simon. No way. <laughs> That is killer. <laughs> and I was like, I first, my, my first thought actually was, man, I must be hallucinating. I've been out here a long time by myself. There's no way I'm on the phone with Paul Simon. But sure enough, he had actually, I don't know, I think the New York Times retweeted it or something like that. He got wind that I was listening to Graceland, reached out to my wife and said, could I give him a call and give him a pep talk? So I end up not talking to anyone but my wife, but Paul Simon and talking about art and creativity and Graceland. And we had like a 25, 30 minute conversation, the most expensive sat phone call ever. Uh, but uh, it was a surreal moment. I actually uh, we've maintained a, a, a loose friendship. We, we hung out in person a, a couple of times. So it was really unexpected and a total uh, fanboy moment in the middle of Antarctica in the least expecting way. So you never know. Go out Dude, to that, the middle of that is, <laughs> that is a tremendous, I'm so glad I asked. Um, that is, that's so cool. And, and I also asked because uh, music is so powerful to me and I have so many, some of those on your list that, man, I go right back to a certain place of, you know, where I was or what I was experiencing or the time of life of that music. And I can see you doing that, that those songs right now, listen to him and you were back in Antarctica. Oh yeah. And, and before that, the reason I brought it is that album came out, uh, I was born in 85. So it came out 85 or 86 basically. And my parents, it was their favorite album for the you know first few years of my childhood. So it is deeply ingrained in my very first kind of experience with music is you know in the late 80s as a really young kid dancing around our house and goofing around with Paul Simon so when I needed that security blanket so to speak alone in Antarctica that's where it brought me right back to is these joyful childhood moments with yeah. my family so mu- music has such a powerful way to transport with nostalgia um, and emotion for sure totally okay well so we're in Antarctica and I'm also thinking so our first area here is spiritual and looking at your you know values and, and motives and habits there and and as you were explaining to me, just out there in a whiteout, you know, for days and weeks on end, I, 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 I it would be impossible for me to separate 
the spiritual from a moment like that. I know you've had a lot of them, but my gosh, man. So I'm curious. Yeah. Where, tell me, tell me about that side of life for you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wasn't raised with a lot of uh, traditional religious background, as, as you would say, my, yeah. my grandparents actually both come from sort of Irish Catholic descent, but my, both of my parents uh, somewhat, uh, I guess, rebelled from sure. the traditional kind of Catholic faith. Um, and like I said, born on a hippie commune and, uh, you know, a bunch of hippies hanging around smoking pot on an organic farm, basically. Um, that, so my life was, I guess, closer to pagan than it was to, you know, deep, you know, Christian or Catholic faith in, in that sense. But throughout my life, um, and even with my experience, my parents, I think that they got away from the kind of traditional dogma of the church that didn't really suit them or their values. Um, and to me, that's certainly not any criticism, anyone else belief in that at all. Um, but there still was this deep sense of something greater than ourselves, something more powerful, more than tapped in. And and, and actually experienced from Antarctica, um, my previous book, The Impossible First, which is all about my Antarctica crossing, came out a couple years ago. Um, you know, a lot of people thought that I would write this, that book and the last chapter would be effectively like, hey, I did it. I'm awesome. I did something no one in history had ever done. Um, and that's not what the last chapter of the book is called or the theme of it. The last chapter of the book is called Infinite Love. Mm. Um and it's because uh, I was so exhausted. I was basically out of food and pulling my sled 12 hours a day. And I end up on Christmas, coincidentally, Christmas morning, 2018. Um, and I've been in this brutal storm for weeks. I'm, I've, there's videos of me crying in my tent being like, I just want to give up. I'm done. I can't go any further, whatever. And I get up, the storm is cleared. I start pulling my sled. I'm so exhausted at that point. I'm actually having to stitch my clothing because the, my pants are falling off my body. I'm so skinny. Um, you know, I'm really beat up at this point, but I tap into this deep flow state, the, the deepest of the whole, I mean, a lot of flow states throughout, but this was just deeper than anything. And in this flow state, funny enough, I start doing math and I start going, I start going, well, how far away am I from the finish? Oh, I'm 77 miles from the finish line. Uh, okay. That's further than closer than anyone's ever done to completing this. I've been averaging 15, 20 miles a day. So maybe that's four more days ish of pulling this sled, but I'm pretty low on food, whatever. And I start going, well, that's only 40 hours. So now I'm not, not, no more weeks or days or months. I'm measuring out 40 hours. Okay. Well, what if I don't stop? What if I actually don't put my tent up again? What if I just keep going? Um, and I end up um, deciding I barely have any food anyways. I'm like, you know what? The sun's not going to set. And there's a nice period of decent weather and decent weather still is minus 30, by the way. It's just that it's not 50 mile per hour winds and a whiteout for a second. And I start pulling my sled 10 hours goes by 20 hours goes by 25 hours goes by. My family's looking at my GPS tracker back home going is something wrong. His thing's moving. He usually checks in by this time, 30 hours goes by and eventually 33 hours goes by. And I'm getting close to realizing the actual, realizing my goal at the end of this 54 day journey. And what ends up happening is right as before I'm getting to the end, you think I'm getting to the end, like I did it. I freaking did it. And don't get me wrong. I'm proud of and completing it. But what I completely let go of, I let go of the competition. I let go of the intensity with Lou. I let go of the external accolade of being this world first thing. And all I was left with was this resonance of what I call infinite love. So much so this might sound silly, but I actually stood with my arms outstretched by myself and started repeating infinite love infinite love. And I actually grabbed my arms and then pulled them in towards my body because I could feel this resonant energy. I was the most alone person quite possibly on the entire planet, but I felt connected to my family, to my wife, to the kids I was trying to inspire, to humanity at whole, this really deep resonant with source. Um, And I 
again, to me, that was what I was left with. That, and that's why it's the last chapter of my book, because that, that was the experience. Touching the post and being the end, look, I'm proud as hell of that. But what was the most profound by far, you know, a thousand X more important to me was tapping into that source. And so you, you so forgive my long answer, yeah. but the question is about spirituality. And I think we can call that experience, whatever you want to call it, call it God, call it the universe, call it infinite love, call it connection, call it source. I don't really care what name or label we put on it, but I felt that in my bones, in my heart, in my soul, in the most powerful resonant way. And my spiritual, my guidance and spirituality throughout time, certainly since then, has been guided by the knowledge that that exists, that we're all connected, that there is a one, that there is a source, that there's a, an energy connecting all of us. You just, for me, you just said it. I mean, the, the essence of spirituality and yeah, I do separate that. We're not talking about some specific faith aspect or, or, or I'm sorry, religious aspect, but is just as you started the sense of something greater. And then it's always interesting for me to hear in sessions like this, that it generally comes down to the feeling of connection to something greater, to a greater source and to other people. Um, how I don't, I don't know if there's anything more telling than that, especially in those, what a great thing for somebody to experience in the latter hours of their 12 hour walk mm -hmm. uh, is such a thing. I do want to ask Colin, it's interesting to me. You shared this a couple of times, I think in the first show too, of coming to those points in some of these efforts, it's a little, little deviation, but I I'm, I'm curious of feeling, even stating I'm done, I'm done. I can't do this. I just want to quit. I, because generally, you know, especially from an athletic competition standpoint, man, you don't utter those words, you know, those that's not on the table. And I had some friends, I don't watch a lot of uh, shows and stuff. Uh, oh no, I had never watched a reality TV type thing and had mm -hmm. a friend, a buddy of mine. He says, okay, Kevin, I get it. I said, I don't like the drama. I don't like, it's just whatever. He says, okay, but you got to watch this one. I think you'll like it. And he had me watch alone. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're familiar. Yeah, yeah. The, and I watched this, the time, I think it was the first time somebody had completed it. So whatever, six people, eight people, I don't remember, go out and they're on their own and stay alone for it's like a hundred days or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's like as two. long as they can and they're having to hunt and trap their own food and survive. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. the mental aspect is of course, you know, generally the hardest thing for them just to be alone. And there was this one girl that was one of the latter ones and she had this moment and she said, I'm done. So she puts it on tape, you know, says to everybody, I'm done. I can't do this. Uh, I'm, I'm shot. And almost kind of got it out of her system. And the next day she went forward and did it again. And I thought, man, that's interesting. I haven't allowed myself to almost mentally quit and state it and then just keep going. And I've played with that a little bit since then. I'm like permission just to in the moment, just to just quit. I'm done, whatever. Now, I'm not leaving. I'm still here, which is what you did. Now mm -hmm. that's an interesting psychology that seems counterintuitive to a lot of our competitive aspects uh, never quit, you know, that maybe mentally, maybe let yourself quit for half an hour or a day. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. And that, that's why, you know, it, it's a really interesting point because so much of my life, you know, as a swimmer all through, you know, life and up and through college, a division one swimmer, and then a professional triathlete. And, you know, like I said, you're a professional endurance athlete yourself. Like there is that mentality of like, never quit, never give up, never give in and all this kind of stuff. But it's interesting in some of these even bigger, more you know, intense, life-threatening expeditions like Antarctica, there were a couple of times where I, I tried to not utter those words, but there's a video of me that I, that I play in some of my keynote speeches and I'm looking in the camera and I'm, this is not for anyone else's benefit, no one there, but I literally, I'm crying and I go, I quit. Wow. I quit. I'm done. Like, just like you described this woman in this reality television show. Um, 
but of course I didn't quit. Right. And I kind of like gathered myself ever, but it was just something about the cathartic, just like, Oh, this, this sucks. Like, I like, I'm so afraid. I'm so scared. I'm so hungry. Like I quit. And obviously there's not an easy ejector seat button um, with this, but you know, bringing that back full circuit of the 12 hour walk. This is why I say that that walk, I don't care if you go one mile or 50, right? What I do care about the exercise is taking that time alone. And that's to say like, if you're working through something in your brain or your feet hurt or you're this, of course, I encourage you to keep moving when you can. But if you got to sit down on the side of the road for 30 minutes, an hour and ever, and just be like, Ugh, why am I doing this? By the way, that is the juice. That is actually the experience. That is not you failing at the experience. That's you in it. That's like, that is, that's that pendulum swing. And again, when you pick yourself up from that curve, whatever that is, and you keep walking, you get back to your front door, you'll look back and go like, Ugh. I wanted to quit. I almost quit. I even said I was going to quit, but I didn't quit. And I'm that much more proud and fulfilled because of working through that challenge. And, and that's part of it. That's part of the journey. And that's actually what makes it even more profound and deep. Yeah. Thanks. I, again, I, I like that concept. It's counterintuitive to the don't quit that maybe you need to for a second. Relationships is next. So we've talked on that, that at the, at your physical mental end that you came to connection, your infinite love with other people. So tell me about relationships and the the values and habits there. Yeah. To me, you know, take everything else aside. I'm pretty certain with, with that infinite love experience, other experiences that I've had in my life, you know, I think we're going to get any, any of us, certainly me, I'll speak for myself. I'm certain by the, when I get to the end of my life and I reflect back on it, um, that it's going to come down to the people that I shared that with. And at its core, um, that's my family. At its very, very core nucleus, that's my wife. Um, I, uh, in a meditation recently, I had a powerful visualization actually of experiencing my last day of, of being alive. Um, and uh, there's a, a cabin on the Oregon coast that my family, as I mentioned, that's where I spent a lot of COVID lockdown. It's a place that's just been important to me where I just feel really just happy and connected. And I had this visualization and my wife and I, we were old, you know, we're 90 some years old, old, old and wrinkled. Um, and we're sitting there on our last day of life and uh, the sun setting is it actually very tearful, emotional for me to experience it. It was very visceral visualization. And I see the sun dropping down on the horizon and I realized, wow, this is my last day. Hmm. And I look over, we're holding hands and there was just this deep sadness because I didn't want to say goodbye to her, obviously, but also this, like, we looked at each other and we was like, wow we did it. What a ride together, wow. together. And like I said, our, our, our marriage, I don't think any marriage is perfect. I think we were very fortunate that we found each other and we loved and supported each other, but acknowledging when I said we did it, it wasn't like we made it. It was like, we, we loved hard. We fought hard. We raised family together. We went through the difficulties of all the setbacks. We did this together. And so I think to me, when I look at all my list of priorities way before my accolades or financial success or this accolade or this external achievement, or whatever, that is the most important thing. There was a, a turning point in my life that was extremely powerful, um, which was, uh, so I was racing triathlon professionally for many years, but early on in my professional racing career, I got the opportunity to join this kind of elite group training group. It was 15 of really elite athletes. And I was kind of the young up and comer, but of this group, there were several current world champions, Olympians, et cetera, men and women. And at the time I was, you know, in a little bit of a rocky moment with my now wife, Jenna, 
Um, and anyone who reads any of my books or watched anything realizes how important Jenna, I mean, Jenna, this book is basically about mine and Jenna's life together. Um, that's how important, you know, she is to all of this, um, front and center. But I will say 10 years ago, I had this opportunity to move to Australia and I broke up with Jenna one time in our 15 years together that I broke up with her. And I didn't just break up with her. I broke up with her and I actually, um, started spending time with this other woman who is a professional triathlete. And, uh, you know, again, this wasn't like a shady affair. I mean, we broke up, I moved to the other side of the world and this woman, she, um, was a world champion, world champion and had won uh, many world championships at different distances. And I said to her one day, I said, so of all your races, what is your most important race that you've won? And I thought she was going to say, oh, it was the time I won the Ironman world championship at this. So the time I did this. And she says to me, she goes, um, it's actually when I came second of the Commonwealth games. Now, I thought to achieve highly, I needed to leave my, the love of my life behind, move to the other side of the world, be surrounded by the best athletes, because I was so focused on achievement. And I thought if I got close to these person who has actually achieved the thing I wanted to achieve, I was going to learn tremendously. But here she is looking at me in the eyes and going, it was the time I came second, the Commonwealth Games. And I said, I don't understand. And she says to me, she says, well, I grew up pretty poor and my family didn't have the money to travel around to all of my races, to my world championships. And she goes at all of my world championships that I have won where I've stood on the top of the podium. No one from my family has been able to be there, but they live near Manchester and the Commonwealth games happened to be there. And I didn't win that day, but I came second, but my mother and my sister and my family and the people that I love, my relationships were there. And then she goes one step further. She goes, you want to know what the loneliest feeling in the world is, Colin? She goes standing on top of a world championship podium and looking out and having nobody there that you love or that you care about. Wow. And I, again, this is 10 years ago. It was one of the most important lessons for me as a you know, young mid, mid, mid 20s, whenever this was in my life, you know, 10 plus years ago. And it hit me. It was, it was such an important lesson for me to learn in this moment, which is I was thinking I needed to push aside my heart, my relationships, my family, move to the other side of the world. Cause if I was going to achieve, that's what the sacrifice was. Yeah. And she basically said, no achievement is worth that sacrifice. So if you can't find a way to do that and bring the people with you, as well as not just have them support you, but the other way, support the people that you love and their pursuits and their passions, then none of it matters. And it was, a, it was a matter of weeks before I flew back to Portland, Oregon, begged forgiveness from my now wife, Jenna, rekindled that relationship. Um, and it, has, it was a, just an important lesson. So again, to me, that, that story strikes at the ethos of why what I think is the, the most important value of my life, which is relationships and nurturing and, and loving them through all the ups and downs. And thank you, Colin, for sharing uh, that story. Let me ask then too, in, your, in this new book, The 12-Hour walk. I don't know if it's right at the end. It may be right at the end. If some, somewhere at the end of the chapter and you guys talked about, uh, wanting to start a family. Yep. Where's that? Yeah. Yeah. No, we are, uh, that, that's, a. Uh you know, we 100%, that's a top, top value. So, uh, you know, my wife doesn't want to share too much, but, uh, we're, we're working hard on it and, um, there will be a, a new spirit, uh, you know, God willing in our life very soon, um, blessing us. So we're really excited to, um, embark on the next chapter of life. And what's interesting is, you know, people say to me, um, often they say, Oh, you've taken all these risks. And, um, you know, I, as I write about in the book, I've lost friends and in, in accidents and on yeah. mountains and things like that. Um, I think, 
the fatherhood is going to, they say this almost kind of like they're, I don't want to say in a mean way, but in somewhere like a judgment way, like, don't worry, fatherhood's going to change everything for you. Right. They, they say that, right? And my response to that is, gee, I hope so, right? Like, well, I'm, I'm not doing this in spite of wanting to do these other things. Like, I hope it does. Now, I think they're saying that where they're saying, and therefore, I don't think you'll ever do expeditions again. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily true. But I do certainly hope that it's the life's greatest or one of life's greatest adventures that fills my heart up with love that I've never felt before of the, you know, importance and of, of taking care of this other other being and the, the you know, the, the, the intensity and the trust and, and all the things that come with that. So um, long, long way of saying we are really, really excited to welcome that next chapter of our life, as well as we're also open to nurturing family and loving family and children in the context of a quote unquote unorthodox or different path of life. And, you know, maybe doing it a little bit differently than our people of doing it um, or not, but open to all the possibilities. And we couldn't be more excited to welcome that next chapter into our life. Awesome. Awesome. Next one, health and wellness. I mean, obviously this is your playground is health and wellness, but I still am curious. I mean, we could say that, oh, obviously you, you know, value that, but now I, I want to know. So with all you have done, all you have achieved and my gosh, you know, we got to say too, some of the stuff that you have done has not added to your health and wellness. I mean, you probably, you burn some brain cells and, and, you know, maybe some telomeres and whatnot, uh, in some of these pursuits. So yeah, when you find yourself having done some of these extremities too, I am curious, yeah, where are the values and okay, daily health and wellness, this is what I want. Totally. Um, you know, my family, my dad's an organic farmer, family in the natural foods health industry. So it kind of got raised around hippie co-ops and healthy food and stuff like that as a high value. My parents thrown around words like organic and sustainable long before anyone knew what the hell that meant. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, as a kid, I kind of rebelled against that. I was like, what's all this rice and beans? I want Lunchables and Doritos. That's what the other kids at the school have. And, I, you know, they're making fun of me for my healthy you know, bag lunch, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. Um, but in general, as of course, as I've, as I've aged and, and, you know, had a little more wisdom as an adult, I realized how important that value was in terms of actually what putting into my body, um, the importance of that. You know, that said, um, I will also say, you know, I, I love the phrase, everything in moderation, including moderation, moderation yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, I think I'm an extremely healthy, healthy person. It's not to say that there aren't some time or two where I'll have a few beers and let loose with, with some buddies and have fun. You know, there isn't, there's, you know, I, I love me a good slice of New York, New York pizza or, you know, you know, things like that. So it's not as if every ounce of every second I'm weighing every bite of food or whatever. Yeah. Um, because I do think that there is also a, emotional toll of that if your life is so rigid. And I'll give a really specific example, which is that I, you know, I, I follow a pretty very clean diet, particularly close to being plant-based um, for many, many years. Um, but I think food actually interesting is something that people connect on. And we talked about connection relationships. Yeah. And so I'll give, you know, I've been fortunate to travel a lot of places. My, you know, work and career have brought me to all sorts of corners of the world. Um, you know, I was, Pakistan and Nepal last year, recently just got back a couple weeks ago from being in Spain. And I found myself so often in these environments where someone will bring out, they'll be like, hey, you know, this is my grandmother's paella that has da-da-da, and she cooked it with so much love and has invited you over to her house to have this thing, right? And I look down at it, and it has some pork in it or something like right. that, going like, I don't, I don't really eat that. You know, that, that's not my thing. But I've realized in few instances, there is a time to be like, but the value of this experience is sharing the paella 
with grandmother who spent so much time to invite you into your home, right? So again, that's that's the everything in moderation, including moderation, the ability to say, hey, I have these healthy set of values in my day-to-day life, but I also am curious about the tapestry of life experiences. And sometimes that means going outside the scope of my traditional diet. Um, But yeah, you know, the, the biggest thing I love that you said that I've probably done some damage to my, cause some people think, you know, you, you as well as professional cyclists, Oh, you must be so fit. You must be so healthy, whatever. But you also know pushing your body that hard, put, you know, pushes down your hormones, you know, in yeah. triathlon, I overtrained myself at one point, my testosterone levels dropped to that of like a 90 year old man. You know, I had to take a long break to recover from that. You know, I imagine you've gone through some ups and downs and training yeah. cycles or after big stage races or things like that. Um, And as I've gotten, I'm 37 years old now, one thing that is really important to me at this phase in my career, I I certainly think that I probably still have a few world records in me or some some high performing, you know, accolades and achievements that I'm curious to pursue. But what's most important to me at this point is longevity, Yeah, which is we talked about kids, right? You know, I'm 37 right now. I want to be 47, 57, 67. And if my kid wants to, you know, I live right next to Grand Teton National Park and I'm, you know, 57, my son's 20, son or daughter's 20 years old and goes, Hey, I want to go climb Grand Teton. I want to be like, heck yeah, let's go to, you know, I'm ready. Let's do that. You know, um, not, Oh, I I squeezed the juice out of everything in my thirties and, you know, twenties and thirties, I got nothing left. And I've met, I mean, you probably have as well. I've met incredible professional athletes, you know, professional marathon runners, et cetera, who have all the accolades, but hobble around on beat up knees and ankles and can't do much for the later chapter of their life. So for me, beyond any additional accolade or thing that I could ever achieve in my life with the sort of external sense of high performance, it's definitely balanced around, um, longevity and uh, the ability to balance that, which for me has looked like pushing super hard when I need to dragging a sled across Antarctica and losing however many pounds and depleting my body, whenever, and then acknowledging everyone wants to ask you when you finish something like that, what's next, what's next, what's next. And, And there's been lots of what's next for me. I've done all sorts of things since then, as we've talked about, but I also am very conscious of what's next is recovery. Totally. Yeah. What's what's next is like treating my body, right. Getting it back to a set point. And I do think in the endurance sports space, there is that internal pressure because the type of person that would push themselves that hard is also the person that's been, Oh, I took a week of rest. Now I'm back to my full training volume and da, 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 da. And over time I have seen that not lead to the longest wellness, you know, longevity, et cetera. Totally, man. It's some, a lot of the athletes in general are not the best depictions of longevity and where you want to end up with. Yeah. And interestingly, so I'm, I'm 51 and in the past three to five years, I've spent more time and money on, on rehab, uh, things that, you know, the shoulder that doesn't work and the thing thinking, man, I I don't want to be there. So let's, let's, instead of trying to increase performance right now, I'm going to go rehab so I can then come back. And yesterday I did a boxing class with one of my kids and, cool. uh, the shoulders work, man. It's, it's awesome. I don't want them to work for the long haul. So no, I, I appreciate that, uh, greatly work. No, no mind, mind and mental health is next. And I mean, my gosh, if, if folks didn't hear the first show we did together, I mean, in essence, you're, it feels like that's the direction you've gone. You've taken all these, you know, 10 world records and all these feats and you're bringing it to a mental aspect of, I mean, that's kind of where I see you now. You're the adventure guy, but you're bringing it to, Hey, this is, this is where you can benefit. Even the 12 hour walk. This is a mental 
thing. This is for your mental health. And we're at a time right now where we're in a crisis of mental health. We've got, you know, here in America, we should be, as you know, we have every reason to be the happiest and healthiest we've ever been. And we're not, we're sicker and sadder than ever. Uh, and so, uh, what you're doing and what you're leading the charge on, man, well, that's why you're here on the show. So, but tell me about that. When you look at yeah, your own mind and mental health and mental state, tell me about the value there. Yeah, look, I, I'm fond of saying the most important muscle that any of us has is the six inches between our ears, which is effectively a, a, a call out to the mind. And I use that word muscle very intentionally because we, I, I say, you know, hey, hey, Kevin, you, you want to ride the Tour de France or you want to get jacked biceps for the summer? Like we know you got you want to ride, ride the ride a big stage race. You got to put the miles on your bike. You got to work your legs out. Right. Or yeah. you want to get jacked for muscle beach summer season in a tank top like you're like i'm gonna hit the bench press hard i'm gonna do those bicep curls you know all this kind of stuff like we get like any person even the non-athlete very quickly is like you got to work out to get stronger funny enough it's so so often i talk to people and they think about mindset and think about the mind mental health etc and they don't make the same correlation meaning well how they go well how do you have a strong mind colin and it's like Well, you got to take the mind and do the mental reps on, on the bench press. Right. And that can look like all sorts of things, right? There's, there's no, just like all sorts of, like a a 12 hour walk. Yeah. 12 hour walk is certainly a great one. Um, you know, a daily practice of whether you want to meditation, yoga, breath work. I mean, look, I mean, there's endless, there's endless modalities of that, but just like if you never exercise your body, your body is going to atrophy. The same thing is, is true of the mind. And look, this doesn't have to be a 12 hour, you know, the 12 hour walk is intentionally like a big shock to the system outside the comfort zone, but it's, is there something you're doing 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. That's a daily practice that kind of flexes and develops that muscle. And over time, those incremental 1% gains, uh, you know, James Clear does an extremely good job of talking about this in Atomic Habits. Um, Those are the things that stack. And so for me, um, meditation has been a huge, important practice for me. Visualization has been hugely important to me to, and when I'm thinking about goals or things that I want to, you know, kind of realize my own life, you know, taking that time to take, like I said, that, that mind to the gym, that mind to get the reps on the mental bench press. um, And and there's no necessarily right way to do it. The only wrong way to do it is to not do anything at all, um, in my opinion. Well, we talked in the first show too, you know, about the, the, the cold shower and the excuses coming up with that, man, I still have great appreciation for that and, and appreciate, you know, our propensity for the physical exertions that are mental. And and man, I, I love that to some degree. It's, it's, that's a, that's a good addiction that I like is pushing myself. Sometimes I feel like I can't, you talked about flow, you know, I had Steven Kotler on the show. Uh, cool. before talking about flow and that I, I experience it so well in a physical output, especially something where you have a level of mastery where you can really push to an end and realizing it's so, yeah, it's so mental. Um, and yeah, I'm with you man. I want, I want longevity physically and I want it mentally as well. For but sure. am I, you know, we were, we talk, we talk about neuroplasticity on the show quite a bit. Um, so yeah, you're a good, 
You're, you've been a good crash test dummy with that, hmm. uh, for sure. Work, career, business. That one's second here. And you talked about, you know, as you have had, gosh, you've gone through different sports, different achievements. Now you've got uh, a lot happening on the business side. I know you've got uh, a lot of different, well, you've had, you've got successful businesses within that. And right now, as all my guests, you've got lots of opportunities in front of you that I'm sure you have to come back to a lot and go, okay, what are my values? Can't say yes to everything. So tell me about it. Yeah, totally. You know, what I think is interesting about, um, you know, call it professional sport or, you know, outside the scope of traditional sports, like a, an NBA or an MLB or, you know, an NFL or something like yeah. that. There's, uh, there, there's trying to trying to figure it out, right? Because there's not necessarily, oh, I signed my contract and I'm financially set by just doing X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, my, my career path, quote unquote, has been an interesting path. I actually write about this in the book, um, you know, one of the chapters that's not about an adventure. That's just about something that's somewhat relatable, which is, you know, we talked about in the first show, you know, public school kid from Portland, Oregon. I end up at, at Yale. Um, you know, I, I did well in school, but also swam, you know, as recruited division one. So that helped, helped get me in. And I was a fish out of water. I, I show up at, at Yale. I'm young for my grade, just turned 17. And I've never been around kids from prep schools. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's just a cultural difference. I mean, not a cultural mismatch in terms of like, I'm just like, whoa. Um, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, you know, investment banking, consulting, uh, you know, le you know, top tier law, law degrees to get you into the firm, to be the partner to whatever. Right. Um, and again, that's a lot of people's path. And that's great. I had an economics degree from Yale and you know, graduated 2006, you know, before the 2008 crash, right. You know, wall street is as hot as hot can be, you know, they're offering, and I didn't grow up with literally any money. You know, I was painting houses every summer, scraping together enough money to buy books. Um, and kids are getting a $120,000 salary right out of college with a $20,000 signing bonus senior in college. Like, you know, that's, I mean, that's a lot of money. I don't care what age you are. Yeah. You're 22 years old. I mean, it's like, Whoa. Okay. Um, and ultimately, uh, I didn't take that job right out of college. I went and traveled around the world. Um, something we didn't talk about and burned myself in a fire. I was told I would never yeah. walk again. Normally have this massive setback, but eventually did say, okay, I got to start my career and, and go into finance, but eventually had this opportunity to race triathlon and left that career behind. And people thought I was crazy. Like what my, my grandma in the book, I talk about my grandmother being like, right. you got this, you got this established career in front of you. You know, it's going to be great, but that's not what my passion was culinary. So Interestingly enough, that's some context, but my driving force has been, can I continue to follow my heart? Can I continue to follow my passion? But I've also asked one further question, which is, can I do that and still have the financial success that I would have had otherwise? Meaning to me, it's one thing to, to do an either or to go, well, I could have made a lot of money as a banker, but I would have hated that job. But instead I followed my heart and I'm living in a van, but like I do all the cool shit I like. And, and, and I want but, you to go, the next one is yeah. money, finances, and wealth. So just tie yeah. it in with this yeah, one too. Yeah, we'll tie it Please. in. Yeah. So interestingly enough, I asked myself the subset of that. The third question that I think a lot of people wouldn't ask is, can I have my cake and eat it too effectively, which is, can I follow my heart and my 
a passion because I'm doing that with full authenticity and a full expression of myself. So will that actually derive more value, not just for myself, but impact at scale, both. You know, I talked about my nonprofit inspiring kids. So that's obviously not about money and wealth. That's just about my passion to continue right. to spread positivity. Um, you know, 12 hour walk is that essentially as well, right? You know, there's a 12 hour walk. I'm inviting 10 million to people to do something that's free. It's put on a pair of shoes and walk outside their house. Yeah. You don't have to like enroll in my course or anything to do it. Just go do it. It's free. It's my gift to you. Um, but my wife and I have also said, you know, how can we be strategic business people? My parents were entrepreneurs. Um, and so we've always looked at things through that lens. You know, no need to necessarily go through every different piece. But the long story short is through most of my 20s, as I was racing triathlon and getting into these expeditions, we scraped and scrapped. You know, we tried to figure it out day by day. And people said to me over and over again, so when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to put that Yale economics degree to use? You know, I'm getting into my later twenties. Now my friends that took those wall street jobs are now getting in a position where they're making, they're making real money. You know, they're making real money right away, but they're making like real serious money. And I'm still like living on my friends and buddies, couches, you know, yeah. eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and the pressure's on one of the chapters of the book I, I write about. Cause this is, I, I pulled my Instagram audience before writing this book said, what's living, what's standing in your way of living your best life. And the number one response from people was, I don't have enough money. I read that. Yeah. Yeah. And I wrote a whole chapter about it. And the chapter is about Jenna and I kind of the shifting. There's, there's, there's two mindsets, right? There's a mindset of scarcity and there's a mindset of abundance. We had $10,000 at the time. We needed to raise a half million dollars to fund our first big expedition because it was there's logistics going to the North Pole and the South Pole and Everest and all these, but it's complicated. It'd be pretty easy to look at your bank account with 10 grand, a project that costs 500 grand, and be like, well, this is never going to freaking happen. Right. Like, obviously. But that shift, you know, again, that possible mindset, that mindset that says, but what are these limitless possibilities? How can I use what I have to generate more abundance? We ultimately said, well, we can build a cool website. And we can go pitch people first hundred, 200, 300 people we pitched also slammed the door in our face and said, no, this is a terrible idea. We're not going to fund you. And I won't, won't get into all the details of that. Long story short, we, we, by the skin of our teeth, you know, did fund that project. And that has paved the way to the abundance that we've created in our life. But the point being is that we had so many setbacks, so many times we have the opportunity to this, but our value was, can we live our passion and make money at this point? Um, We've generated a lot of abundance. We have created, you know, we, we've started companies that we've now exited and sold. Um, you know, we have a really thriving speaking career. I've New York Times bestselling author, you know, blah, 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 you know, different things. In short, my passion and my expression in the world has also led to financial abundance. And we talk, you talk about work, which is, you know, somewhat separate from money and finances, but of course, interconnected. But it's a passion of saying, how can I follow my heart and how can I also generate? We live in a time, one thing that's incredibly cool about the time that we all live in right now is, you know, we talk about turning our phone off and putting on airplane mode and taking a 12 hour walk. That's great. That's important. You and I are also sitting, you know, you know, different sides of, you know, thousand, I don't know how 500 miles away from each other, we're actually relatively close, but we're not sitting in the same room. We're looking at each other, talking yeah. to people that we can't see. We have so many tools and so much technology at our fingertips. I think the, the next phase of life is going to be less defined by the facts that we know in a textbook versus just the creativity that you have in your mind. What can you create? What can you invent? How can you provide value? You know, uh, you know, this podcast for you obviously is part of your business, but I imagine 90% of the time 
you enjoy the hell out of it too. You're talking to people that are interesting. You're learning stuff, you're engaging, et cetera. And so you're essentially filtering your career through a very similar lens that I have, which is how can I continue to keep doing stuff that has positive impact, that impacts other people at scale, but that also, of course, you know, takes care of me and my family. And uh, we, we've been able to you know, navigate a sweet spot of that. But I will conclude that long thought by saying, it's also the ones in the tens. I I think I have the most blessed life and I've always felt like I've had the most blessed life, but I've also had a lot of those ones along the way with where I could have had a four, where I could have had a five, where I could have been in a little bit of a nicer house in my twenties or driven a nicer car and whatever, but I'd still be at a four or five. Now I'm at a 10 because I was willing to just be like, just keep following my heart. Just keep knocking on doors, just keep finding a way. And that's that entrepreneurial spirit. And I I'm blessed that my parents instilled that in me, not just the high performance in sports, but how can you take what you're doing, what you're offering uniquely is in the world and turn that into a lucrative profession. And, and, you know, through a lot, you know, a lot of trials and tribulations and heartbreak, um, I've managed to do that. And I'm really proud of that. And I feel so blessed to be able to continue to live this life in this way. Well, man, of course I resonate. Yeah. To what I do. I, I have people send me books like this, the 12 hour walk and say, Hey, would you have this guy on your show? Or like, are you kidding me? I would fly there and pay to have coffee and talk about what we're talking about now. Stuff that matters. And the fact that I get paid for it almost just feels unfair. So yeah, I I'm incredibly grateful, incredibly grateful, man. The last one, this is a funny one. Cause it's usually about achievements and stuff. You're, you're Mr. Achievement guy. So, uh, you could talk about that, but I, I want to know too, along with this is just kind of interest, hobbies, play, self-care. What does, uh, what does Colin do for fun on a, on a given day? Uh, tell me about that side of life. Totally. Um, you know, I, I write, I read a line, um, in the 12 hour walk that it's, uh, it's oriented around the limiting belief of, I don't have enough time. And it's a com, you know, com, super common one, right? And people often say that from the lens of, you know, I'm encouraging people to take the 12 hour walk, say, and they go, well, oh, I got kids, I got a job, I got a blah, blah, like, I got to be there for every one of my kids' soccer games and this, I could never do that, I don't have enough time. And I, of course, applaud people that are making sacrifice to support the people around them. They're, right. they're sacrificing their time to support family members, be, show up at their job, show up at their career, et cetera. The interesting thing that I also write is that we often think in our in our society, uh, I think it's very common American perspective for sure, different in other cultures, but is that self-care is is selfish, right? Well, that yeah, is totally. that you're like, like, oh, this is oh what? You're just gonna go to the spa and sit around because you're taking, you know, whatever. Shouldn't you be doing something more productive or you're not taking care of this priority or you know, this, that, the other thing? And I reframe that in the book in this chapter, right? You know, a bit of time, which is actually self-care is selfless. And you were not wanting to make the sacrifice of saying, taking the 12 hour walk because you want to show up for your kids or your spouse or your partner, or your job. But by taking one day and investing it in yourself, whether it's a 12 hour walk or just doing something because you just love it and it fills your cup and it makes you feel good. Generally speaking, you're going to come back into that next week, that next month, that next year and be a better parent be a better partner, be a better uh, colleague, be a better at work, be more productive, et cetera. The point being is the self-care element actually makes you better, not worse. You're not taking away from those things that are priorities, but it's actually making you better and more dialed in and more focused in those priorities. So for me um, and my wife and I have a super open, you know, honest dialogue about this in, in our life and our relationship, which is we both work super hard. We're both passionate about what we do, but also both take time to say like, but 
what's just, what are we doing just for the sake of doing it? So, you know, funny enough things that I love to do. Some things are simple. Um, I love taking my dog. I have this, there's a mile long loop around near my neighborhood. It's a dirt loop and just, just walking my dog every single day, talking with my wife, having a chat, simple as that. Just yeah. like, you know, that that's just fun. Um, I love to dance, love, love, really? love to dance. Sure. Um, so that's uh, right. You, you know, dance by to... yourself in Antarctica. Like exactly. Craziness. So, right, right, right. Uh, you know, that fills my cup, you know, just, that's one of those ex- things that I, when I find myself in an environment, you know, you know, dancing, listen to live music, whatever it is, uh, as silly as that may be, where I'm just like, there's no purpose. There's nothing to be gained by this. It's not like winning a thing. It's just like, I'm doing this in the moment. It's a meditation of the story. It's a, it's a presence. Right. Um, and then of course there's the, the physical side of what I love to do. There is the external of that meaning like, Hey guys, and I announce to the world, I'm going to try to walk across Antarctica alone or row this boat across this or climb this mountain. That's never been, you know, whatever. Right. Done doing those things. Um, but there's also, you know, I, I live in Jackson Hole. There's endless mountain bike trails, hikes, you know, lakes, rivers, all this sort of stuff. So I do a lot of that. The reason it's my job, when we talk about going back to the other one, you asked about job this, yeah. is because I like doing those things, yeah. right? I just like doing it. And so one of my litmus tests actually on my career, which comes, you know, my hobbies are somewhat tied to that, is Jenna always asked me, and I love this question that she always asks me. She goes, okay, we're going to do this big expedition. We're obviously going to do it in a way that hopefully inspires people at scale. We're going to do it in a way where there's press and media and social media. We're going to share it with the world and sponsors, you know, whatever, make it a business. We're going to do that. But before we do that, would you do this if no one was watching? Mm -hmm. Would you do this if there was nothing to gain from it externally? Would you do this if you couldn't tell a single person about it? AKA, would you walk across an article alone if there was no book deal on the other side of it, whatever. Right. And the resounding answer for every expedition, everything I have done has been a resounding hell yes. And the second I'm confronted with an expedition that the optics of it are cool, or there's a cool movie that someone wants to shoot about or whatever. But my answer to that question is I'm only doing this because someone's paying me to shoot a movie about it. That is the second that I just say, no, I'm good because that is not worth it to me. All right. I, I, I'm going to end us then with, uh, something you said that is so, it's so simple. Um, but so significant. And it was in, I think it might've even been in the intro to your book and people asking you about some of the achievements, some of the things that you've done, some of the feats that you've done that were incredibly dangerous, uh, horrifically dangerous actually. And your statement and them asking you, aren't you afraid of dying? Aren't you afraid of, of whatnot? And you're response was, yeah, I'm afraid of dying, but I'm much more afraid of not living. Um, it's so simple. It's so pithy to a lot of people to hear that, but man, if we, if, if people heard nothing but that, if I heard nothing but that it's, uh, it's worth looking at what you have done, why you have done it, the fact that you've done it and you would do it even without the press and the book deal and the whatnot. And, uh, that, that joy and inspiration and motive to just go live, I hope we all hear that and uh, go forward after this podcast with a little more motive to, or a lot more motive to go do it. Start with a 12 hour walk and then figure out what makes you come alive, man. Thank you for what you've done for sharing it with us, taking the time and the effort to do that. I know it's hard to write a book and, uh, and thanks for the, the, the two hours we've gotten to spend today, man. I am a huge beneficiary. I'm eager to share it with the, with the audience. Thank you, Colin. 
Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, you strike right at the core, which is, you know, all of us, I think we got to get busy living, get yeah. busy living. And if you're, if you're stuck or in, in a spot or confused or just need a little bit of a reset, that's why this is a one day prescription, something anyone can do. Take a day, put it on your calendar, uh, walk out your front door, take a 12 hour walk, enjoy the, the reset of that um, and contemplate, you know, what might be a little bit out of balance in your life, what shifts you want to make, because we've got this one life. There's no reason not to live it to its fullest. So 12hourwalk.com, check it out. I'm really excited to have uh, your participation, your support, Kevin. And uh, thanks for having me. Well said, brother. Well, friends, you can, again, find Colin O'Brady's new book, The 12-Hour Walk, Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind and Unlock Your Best Life, anywhere you get books, and you can connect with him directly at colinobrady.com. Thanks again for choosing to tune in to this self-helpful podcast with me, Kevin Miller. I am grateful if you would leave a review about this episode. It helps people. It helps Colin. And best of all, take something you learn, something of interest, and talk about it with someone else today so you get more out of it and they get something great. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself. 